0: Good morning, and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. If you would join me in the call to worship from Psalm 62 that will be printed on the screen. Truly, our souls find rest in God, our salvation comes from Him. Yes, my soul find rest in God, our hope comes from Him. Our salvation and our honor depend on God. He is our mighty rock and our refuge. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us to this place to get today and gathering us all together in your name. Thank you for the time to worship with each other and to grow and learn from each other as you reveal yourself to us through song and word. Help us to trust you and to find our rest in you, and to depend on you, our mighty rock and our refuge. Thank you that we can do so. Amen.
1: Before you're seated, take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Perhaps introduce yourself to someone new. It's great to welcome you as we gather for worship today on this wonderfully cool Sunday morning. Uh, of course, you know in about six months we'll be begging for a day like this. So uh, we give thanks uh, for what we have. It's great to see you here, especially welcome those of you who may be guests here this morning. Glad to have you here in our worship today. There are a number of things in your bulletin about the life of the church and things happening this week, things happening in the coming weeks. Let me encourage you to take a few moments and take a look at those and encourage you to participate in as many of those things as you possibly can.
0: I'm afraid I'm going to ask you to stand back up again as we have more singing to do, but maybe the movement will cause a breeze. We'll get the air moving in here. (laughs) Let's praise our God together. I will sing forever of your love coming. Old Testament reading is from Psalm 44. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm And the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness." If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of our heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. And let's join together in singing the doxology. Praise God from
1: Our God, who is gracious and merciful, calls us to a life of honesty with Him. One of the parts of being honest with God is to acknowledge our struggles and our need for Him. And so I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that's printed on the screen. And let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, You are the way of peace. Come into the brokenness of our lives and our land with your healing love. Help us to be willing to bow before you in repentance and to bow to one another in forgiveness. By the fire of your Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts and consume the pride and prejudice which separate us. Fill us, O Lord, with your perfect love which casts out our fear. And bind us together with all of our brothers and sisters in that unity which you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, we come today acknowledging and declaring that you alone are God. There's none like you in all the earth. The heavens and the earth are full of your glory. And we offer to you today our worship, our adoration, our praise. And our thanksgiving. We thank you, Father, for the good things that you are doing in our lives and in this world. We thank you for the healings that we see taking place. The good report we've received about Cheryl O'Brien's health. Uh, and for your your grace upon Dan Gurley and his surgery this week. And for all the other ways that you are at work we thank you. We bring before you our burdens, our concerns, our struggles today as well. Those things that weigh heavenly upon us. That area, that habit, that sin, the struggle we, we cannot overcome. We ask you to release us and to heal us. We pray, Father, for the financial needs that we represent. We pray for the struggles and the burdens that we That we live with in terms of the future and ask that you will give us your peace. Restore what is broken in our lives. We pray for others who are in need today. We for each one who is suffering, for those in pain, feeling heartache and insecurity and uncertainty, failure, loss. Father, we pray that your presence would be so close and near. Hear our prayers as we pray for one another. Father, we pray you would comfort all who are grieving. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. For Phil Main and Dan Gurley. And Florence Tuber and Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty. For Tim Nichols. For Gus and Louise Princell. For Nancy Cole. And Peter Lingenfelter. And Doris Hesepian. Isla Shea. Sheldon Emerson. For Bill Getty. And for Mike Raybuck, for Bev Rett, Emily Crickler, and others who may be on our minds today, bring your healing grace to each of them. Father, we thank you that you, you care about people not just here, but all around us and all over the world. We thank you that, that you are present in this church, and we thank you that you are present in the other works of your gospel here and around the world. Today, Father, we pray for the, the Allegheny Camp of the Gideons. As this day marks the, the 119th anniversary of the beginning of this organization that has done so much to put Bibles in the hands of people all over the world, we pray your blessing upon the work of this camp and the Gideons around the world. We know that your word does not return void. We pray that you would bless their work and their efforts. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We think today of, of, the, uh, of Jackie Algier as she is home for a little while from her work in North Africa. We pray that this will be a time of, of refreshing for her. We pray that you would continue to give her wisdom and direction for the future. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal who face great hardship from laws and regulations. Father, despite those restrictions, you are at work and the church is growing there. We pray that you would protect them and that you would continue to encourage them and may their witness continue to flourish. Father, we think of all throughout the world who are facing and recovering from tragedies and disasters. Again, another in this country this week and many, many others. We pray for places of war and ask that you would bring peace. We pray for the leaders of our nation on this weekend, particularly when we are preparing to celebrate our nation's independence. We thank you for all of the, the privileges that we have in this nation. and We ask, Father, that, that you would pour out your your grace, your wisdom, upon President Trump and Vice President Pence, upon the leaders of members of Congress, for the jurists who sit on the Supreme Court and the other courts of our nation. We pray for our governor and the state legislature. We pray for all of our our, our county government, our local government. We ask, Father, that you would bless each of them and that they would be continually sensitive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, that they would make decisions that are sensitive to the most needy and the most vulnerable among us. And, Father, in this day when we sense so much divisiveness in government, we pray, Father, that you would bring a new spirit of cooperation and hope for the good of others. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Let us courage to trust you for every answer in your way, in your time. And we pray this through the wonderful and glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and the glory forever
2: amen
0: reading is from Romans 8:31 through 39 Romans 8:31 through 39 what then shall we say in response to these things if god is for us who can be against us nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
1: Please be seated. We tend to live in our expectations think about it for just a moment, the last time that you felt really frustrated and upset and angry. I suspect it's because of an unmet or unfulfilled expectation. You expected to get flowers on that special day, and you didn't. You expected that supper was going to be at 6 o'clock, and it wasn't you expected that uh, in the grocery store at that time of the morning there would be no lines and you wouldn't have to wait and you do we we have all of these expectations that we live with and and so often our reactions and our our state of mind and our emotional existence rests in whether those expectations are met and fulfilled ...or not. And sometimes it has nothing to do with facts or truth. It's just what we expected didn't happen. And it throws us. We have expectations not only for each other and for life... ...but also for God. We all have expectations for God. There is an expectation in the back of our minds... ...that we believe that when you're God's people... You get treated better than when you're not God's people. There is an expectation that we live with that believes that God is good and blesses those who follow him. Now, there is truth to that. If you read the first part of Psalm 44, and I'm not printing the passage on the screen this morning because we're kind of working with large pieces of material but you might want to grab either the bible in the pew rack or the bible you brought with you or your bible on your phone as long as all you're doing on your phone is looking at your bible we'll let you do that and i know that's all you'll be doing right Listen to how Psalm 44 begins again. Oh God, we've heard it with our ears. Our ancestors have told us of all you did in their day and days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power. You gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies. You set our ancestors free. They didn't conquer the land. You did. With your right hand, you loved them. You helped them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only your name can we trample our foes. I didn't trust in my bow. I didn't count on my sword. You're the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. Oh God, all we give glory to you all day long and we constantly praise your name because you good to us. And there is something in the back of our minds that says, that's what it's like to follow God. And as we see from what the psalmist says, that is sometimes how it is when you follow God. But what happens when life takes a different turn? What happens when being a follower of God doesn't mean that life is safe? and comfortable and easy we tend to struggle because it's not meeting the expectation we have for what it means to be a follower of Jesus and you see that in the following verses beginning of verse 9 after this Glorious uh, description of all that god's done for israel verse 9 begins and I have a little different translation I have the new living translation your few bibles are a little bit different But there's not a whole lot of difference but it begins in verse 9 saying but That's always a key thing word to look at in scripture but Now you've tossed us aside in dishonor You no longer lead our armies to battle you make us retreat from our enemies. You allow those who hate us to plunder our land. you butchered us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You sold your precious people for a pittance. And you didn't even make anything on the sale. You let our neighbors mock us. We're an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You've made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. God, what are you doing? This is not right. And we tend to struggle with God when our expectations are unmet. When we face difficulties and struggles. Even particularly when we face these things not just in spite of being a follower of Jesus but because we are followers of Jesus. Eugene Peterson tells of being, uh, sitting in the blood mobile one day and uh, waiting to give his yearly pint, he says. And uh, the nurse there, is, if you've ever done that, you know, is there with the clipboard asking you all these questions. And she's going down this list of questions to make sure that he shouldn't be disqualified from giving blood, that his blood would be tainted in some way and would harm the people who would receive it. So it's all this checklist of things, you know, illnesses you've had, where you've traveled, all those things. She gets to the last question and she asks him, do you, do you do dangerous work? Now, Eugene Peterson is a pastor, and he said, I'm sitting there wearing a clerical collar, so it's obvious to her that I'm a pastor. And she asked me this question, and I looked her in the eye and said, yes. And she kind of caught her off guard for a second. And then she looked at him, she smiled, came to her face, she said, that's not the kind of hazardous I meant. And she checked no on the sheet. And he said, I would have loved to have had a longer conversation with her, but there was this whole line of people waiting to have the needle stuck in their arm like I was about to do. But he said, I hope, because I didn't want her to misunderstand me. He said, I don't want her to think that being a pastor was more hazardous, more demanding than any other job. Because it's not. Everything that we do has a certain level of demands and risks and difficulties and struggles to it. That's just life. Everything has that. He said, what I meant was not that being a pastor was particularly hazardous, but being a Christian is hazardous. That being a follower of Jesus is going to lead us to things in life where we are, we live in in an antithesis to the culture and to so much of what people value and so much of what people say is good and right. And we so often forget that. We forget that being a follower of Jesus might well bring scorn on us. Might well make people look at us and say we're not just insignificant, but we're a menace, we're a harm to society. And all you have to do is listen to a few people for a little while and you hear that. And at some point, we have to come to realize that maybe our expectations are a little bit out of whack. And what happens when those expectations fail us, and when God, when God deviates from our formula, what tends to happen is we turn on God, and we blame Him, just as the Israelites do. Because after all, God owes us, right? I mean, we are sacrificing for Him. We've given up so much for Him. And when you read this psalm, beginning then in verse 17, the psalmist says, All this has happened, though we have not forgotten you. We've not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. We've not strayed from the path. You've crushed us. If we'd forgotten your name, if we'd spread out our hands in prayer to foreign gods, okay, fine. We would have deserved it. But we haven't. We obey the rules. We tow the line. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Why has this happened to us? That's not right. That's not fair. Because we tend to have a, a relation, we tend think of our relationship with God as sort of a quid pro quo. We do what God wants us to do. He does what we want Him to do. We obey the rules. God makes our lives easy. And all the while, God is saying to us, That's not exactly how it works. I'm glad that you're doing the right things. I'm glad that you're spending daily time in my word. I'm glad that you're spending daily time in interaction with me. I'm glad that you're you're good to your neighbor. I'm glad that you you love your family. I'm glad that you you make coming to worship a priority. I'm glad that, that you are striving to be pure in heart. I'm glad that you're a generous person. I'm glad, it's good, all these things you're doing. But our relationship is not you do the right thing and God says, then I'll do the right thing for you. That's not the kind of relationship we have. You know, what amazes me is that when I read through Scripture and I read through the history of God's people, one of the things that keeps coming back to me, and I don't, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't necessarily like it, but one of the things that I see is that God does not seem to be all that hesitant about letting His people face opposition. God doesn't seem to be all that worried about letting His people face difficulties and struggles and threats. When you read through the Scriptures... Just for instance, you take the book of Daniel, and you've got two perfect stories. You have first the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refuse to bow down to the image of the king. And what happens then? They get thrown in a furnace. And Daniel refuses to, to stop praying to Yahweh. And what happens? He gets thrown into a lion's den. Jeremiah speaks the word of God to the people of Israel, and they throw him in a sewer. And you read, the book of, you read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and you have these stories of all of these people who do the right things and are persecuted because of it. Paul spends the majority of his adult life in chains. He has a much harder life after he follows Jesus than before he follows Jesus. We see it all around the world with the church. And I think one of the reasons we wrestle with this is because we don't really face that much. We don't deal with those kinds of things like so many of our brothers and sisters do. And when you don't deal with it, you sort of tend to have a feeling of entitlement. But we shouldn't. You know, I, I, I cannot forget the story that is told of St. Teresa of Avila, this deeply devoted follower of Jesus. And one day she is on a journey to to minister to people, doing what God's called her to do. And all along the way, every point in the journey, she keeps running into one threat, one difficulty, one struggle, one obstacle after another. Over and over and over again. And she's at the end of her rope and she looks up to God and says, God, what are you doing to me? I, I thought thought we were friends. I thought we had this relationship. Why am I going through all of this? He said, I heard this voice in my head say to me, well, Teresa, this is how I treat my friends. And she looked at God and she said, well, no wonder you have so few of them. It's hard for us to grasp that, but it's true. But here's what I've come to discover is that God in His bigger purposes is much more interested in the big picture of our lives and this world than He is only the immediate. And our expectations tend to get caught in the immediate. God's designs are not just that we have an easy life. God has bigger things in store for us to make us holy. Holy give us lives of abundant joy and flourishing. But we're so often caught in the moment, we can't see beyond it and what God wants to do. Because ultimately what God wants for us is to know him in the deepest, fullest ways in which we can experience his abundant joy, his abundant life, his abundant flourishing that he created us for. And the only way anyone can ever experience that is to get close to him. And the only way to be close to Him is to trust Him, and the only way to trust Him is to be placed in circumstances which you are for, in which you are forced to trust Him. We love having our three-year-old granddaughter Emma to our house, and uh, we play games, and we. You know, we play with dolls and we do all these things. And I'm doing these things that I didn't do with two boys when you have a little granddaughter. And it's fun and we love it. But sometimes grandpa and grandma get worn out. And so we say, hey, let's watch a video. Uh, you, know. <laughs> you, you might have had that experience ever so often. And, and you know, and, and we don't really have a lot of children's things anymore. But we opened up some boxes from our boys for little and we found some videos. Now, understand, I'm not talking generically about a video i'm talking about a specific video cassette that goes in a vcr yes we do have a vcr still hooked to our television you can judge us if you want to but we do and and there's a couple of videos that she likes to watch one of them is sesame street goes to the firehouse and the other one is big bird goes to the hospital and we i've watched big bird goes to both of them numerous times but in the story of big bird goes to the hospital he wakes up one morning and he's sick He's coughing and, you know, he's not well. And Maria, his surrogate mother, examines him and takes his temperature and says, I better take you to the hospital. And so they go to the hospital and he has this whole encounter at the hospital. And they take his, they take his blood pressure and he keeps saying, if they keep taking my blood pressure, I won't have any left when they, I'm done. And, and all this experience about helping children in a hospital. And Big Bird eventually gets admitted. He has some bird pneumonia thing. And he gets admitted to the hospital. He's in the hospital three or four days. And you can tell this is a video that's old, 30 years old, to stay in the hospital that long. And the whole time he is whining and complaining and he is mad at Maria. This woman who is his surrogate mother, he is mad at her. And they're through the video, he won't talk to her. He turns away from her. He's so upset because these people are pricking and prodding him and they're taking his temperature and they're waking him up at night and he's away from his friends and there's this horrible thing and he blames Maria for it through the whole experience until he starts feeling better. And by the time he leaves the hospital, Maria is his best friend. And there's something in that story that I think speaks to our expectations of God. Because so often our lives are right there at the point where we're in the hospital and we are upset and we're angry at God for letting this happen to us, not realizing that where we are headed is something bigger and better. To bring healing to our lives, to bring restoration to our lives, to bring us to new places with Him, with other people, and inside of ourselves. Because God's ultimate purpose is not to eliminate the opposition in our lives. God's ultimate purpose is to do what Paul writes about, to convince us of what Paul writes about at the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you cannot know that nothing will separate you from the love of God until you experience circumstances that might threaten us to think that God might abandon us. I never really understood that part of the end of Romans 8 that Paul writes about until I began to look at Psalm 44. And when you get to verse 35, he says, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he says, As the Scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day. or being slaughtered like sheep. I thought... No, despite all these things, overwhelmed victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Where did that come from? Why does he stick that in there? And I think Paul is saying, let me give you a little commentary on Psalm 44. And Gabe talked a little bit about this a few few weeks ago when he spoke on Romans 8. And I think Paul is saying, look, we are facing difficulties. And it is, as he says, for your sake. Because we're God's people, we're doing this and we're facing all kinds of hardship and all kinds of struggle and all kinds of burdens and all kinds of opposition. But we are convinced, and because we're facing it, we're even more convinced that nothing can separate us ever from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you think about it, isn't, isn't knowing that we are loved better than just feeling comfortable isn't knowing that we're loved better than life being easy doesn't knowing that we're loved in the very depths of our being for no matter what we do unconditionally isn't that the best good possible. And maybe that's what Paul means in verse 28 when he says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is that great good? It is being convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine, not all of the things that the evil one wants to bring against us. None of it can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And you get a glimpse of that at the end of Psalm 44. When he talks about it's because of your unfailing love. It's because of the Hebrew word hesed, This love that knows no boundaries. This love that knows no depths. This love that knows no heights. This love that is all encompassing of the nature of God. Ultimately, the psalmist says, that's what I'm banking on. The unconditional love of God. And that's what we can bank on, too. I don't know exactly what your struggle is today. I don't know where you're feeling life pressing on you. I don't know where you may be thinking life is not fair. God is not being fair. Things are not going the way I want them to go. But can you believe, can you trust, that in the middle of that circumstance, in the middle of that threat, That God is good, even if. That God is love, even if. That nothing can separate us from the love of God, even if. It's our hope. It's our life. And we come to this table this morning because at this table we see the greatest expression of who God is and the links to which God is willing to go in that unconditional love and the promises God makes as we live our lives now and for all eternity. Amen. Most Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for your love that knows no limits. We thank you for your grace, your goodness, even if, even when. We come to this table this morning, Father, in thanksgiving and gratitude. And seeking you. We pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, it will be food for our souls. That you will speak deeply into our being of who you are. As we eat and drink, give us courage and grace to trust you. we ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. And so as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God with a yearning and a desire to know the love of God and to trust Him, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
2: They say sometimes you win some sometimes you lose some right now right now i'm losing I stood on this stage night after night minding the broken it'll be all right but right now oh right now i just can't Easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, I know you can save through the fire. It takes a little faith to move a mountain good thing, a little faith is all I have right now God, when you choose to make mountains unmovable Give me the strength to be able to sing well no. Jesus, I-